Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. January 2017, National Geographic had an article about El Dorado. The article said this, The lust for gold spans all eras, races, and nationalities. To possess any amount of gold seems to ignite an insatiable desire to obtain more. Through the centuries, this passion gave rise to the enduring tale of a city of gold. In the 16th and 17th centuries, Europeans believed that somewhere in the New World, there was a place of immense wealth known as El Dorado. Their searches for this treasure wasted countless lives, drove at least one man to suicide, and put another man under the executioner's axe. The famous British explorer Sir Walter Raleigh made two trips to Guiana in South America to search for El Dorado. Like Raleigh's search for El Dorado, famed conquistador Francisco Vasquez de Coronado led an expedition to find Cibola, the seven cities of gold in the southwestern United States. They arrived in 1540, but all they found were huts and pueblos. The expedition was a complete failure. In contrast to the myths and legends of cities of gold, there is a real city of gold that will come to this earth from heaven one day. And this city is Israel's great hope. Like Abraham their father, by faith the nation Israel, under prophecy, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. For the saints in the future tribulation, after the rapture of the church, God has given them this book of Revelation, and these three chapters, the last three chapters of the Bible, so that they know that as they attempt to survive the horrific judgments and pain of the tribulation, or if they must face martyrdom for their faith in Christ, they have assurance of a bright, victorious hope in Christ in the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 15-16 reads, And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. A man once asked his pastor, Pastor, can you explain eternity to me? The pastor responded, I could, but it would take forever. And that's what we're explaining here in Revelation 21. Eternity and the eternal state for believing Israel on the new earth. After showing John the wall, the gates, the foundations, the angel who took John in the spirit to the high mountain to observe the new Jerusalem as it descended to the new earth, he now measures the great city to impress upon John its staggering dimensions. The golden reed in verse 15 is a measuring rod. The rod is golden and suited to the dignity of the occasion that the angel was measuring the city of God. The angel takes the golden reed to measure the city, the gates, and the wall. The angel's measurements reveal that the city lieth foursquare, or that it was equal on all sides. 
That is, its length is the same as its width, perfectly square. God is a God of order and perfection. The fact that it is equal on all sides indicates the perfection of God's city. Nothing is out of order or out of balance. Nothing is crooked. There are no mistakes. It's perfect shape and perfect measurements glorify its designer and creator. The measurement of the length and width is 12,000 furlongs. The Greek word translated furlongs is stadios. And it said that a stadion is a Greek measure corresponding to 600 Greek feet or approximately 607 English feet. Now, to put it in terms of our present-day miles, if we do some arithmetic, 607 feet multiplied by 12,000 divided by 5,280 feet per mile, and we find that each side is approximately 1,380 miles. And that's the distance as the crow flies from New York City to Waco, Texas, or from Cheyenne, Wyoming to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Or if we envision a square, the square would go from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico and from the Atlantic Ocean to Colorado. And that's a big city. That's plenty of room for those who will, dwell, who will dwell in it, which includes an innumerable company of angels, as Hebrews 12.22 says, and countless saints from God's earthly program. But then it really gets mind-blowing. The angel measures the height, and it's the exact same measurement. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal, verse 16 says. It is a perfect cube. And it is approximately 1,380 miles tall. Now, no offense to those who live in Denver, but that puts the mile-high city to shame. Now, unless the scriptures demand otherwise, we must always interpret God's Word literally. God means what He says, and He says what He means. Many say the measurements of the New Jerusalem are merely symbolic because they can't be fully explained according to science, natural laws, and what we know and experience right now. we got to read and understand this passage with childlike faith, though. For we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. God is able, and He, the Creator, can make a 1,400-mile square city work on the new earth. It's an understatement to say that it's simple for him. It's not a problem for him in his infinite wisdom and might. The creation ministry answers in Genesis had a little cartoon years ago that I liked regarding the statement, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The first drawing depicted that statement, and the second drawing was captioned with, God said it, that settles it, no matter what you believe about it. We and what we believe are not the authority. God's Word is the authority. What God has said settles it once and for all. What we believe must conform to the truth of God's Word. And the obvious teaching of this passage 
is that one day there's going to be a glorious golden city on the new earth that is 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, and reaches 1,400 miles into the sky. And to that we say, praise the Lord. According to the angel's measurements, the city is a perfect cube, and it is not a pyramid. And for an important reason, the dwelling place of God in the temple in Jerusalem in the past foreshadows the dwelling place of God in the new Jerusalem. The dimensions of the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant stood, and where God's presence dwelt are described this way in 1 Kings 6. In the oracle, or the inner sanctuary, he prepared in the house within to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And the oracle, the inner sanctuary, in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, and 20 cubits in breadth, and 20 cubits in height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold. The length, breadth, and height of the Holy of Holies in the temple were 20 cubits each. It was a perfect cube. A cubit was 18 inches. 20 cubits is 360 inches, or 30 feet. The Holy of Holies was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, 30 feet high. Will be a massive Holy of Holies. It will be a cubed shape, just like the Holy of Holies, where the living God will dwell on earth with mankind. And it will be golden, just like the Holy of Holies was golden in the temple. And the three dimensions of 12,000 furlongs, equal in its length, width, and height, Picture the triunity, equality, oneness, and perfection of the three persons of the Godhead, three in one. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Revelation, Volume 3 is a hardcover 228-page commentary written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler and covers Revelation 14.1 through 19.21. In this third volume, we transition from Revelation chapter 13 to chapter 14, where the scene shifts dramatically from the Antichrist, who claims to be the Messiah, to the Lamb of God, who is the true Christ. Before we can effectively warn men of things to come, we ourselves must first be equipped with a better understanding of God's Word rightly divided. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262 255 4750 or subscribe online at org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Revelation 21 verse 17 says, And he measured the wall thereof in hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. In addition to measuring the city, the angel measures the wall. 
The measure of a cubit from biblical times was the length of a man's forearm from his elbow to the tip of his middle finger. And this is about 18 inches. The angel measures the wall at 144 cubits. It's not without significance that its measurement is the product of 12 multiplied by 12, because that number 12 is so significant for Israel. When we multiply 144 cubits by 18 inches per cubit, then divide it by 12 inches per foot, we find the measurement of the wall to be 216 feet. Now, a short 216-foot high wall around a 1,380-mile high city sounds out of proportion. So this is something for you to study and consider. But verse 12 reminds us that the city had a wall great and high. The wall was great in thickness and high in height. The wall's height is likely proportionate to the city's height and perhaps even the same height. Walls in Bible times were thick. People walked on them, rode chariots on them, lived in houses on them. When Nehemiah and the Jews completed rebuilding the wall around, the, around Jerusalem, they celebrated its completion at a dedication, and two great companies of people marched in opposite directions on top of the wall. It was so wide that companies of people could walk on top of it. Thus, the dimensions of a wall from that time were more about their thickness. And I believe the angel's measurement here in regard to the high wall is being 216 feet is that it was 72 yards thick. And that is a great thickness. Picturing an American football field, 72 yards would be an impressively thick wall. And regarding the measurement, John adds, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel, the dimensions of the city and the wall are so astounding that John assures the reader by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the angel was using the same measurement as men. It's not some heavenly angelic measurement. He's saying that though it was measured by an angel, a standard human unit of measurement was used. Thus, a stadion is a stadion, a cubit is a cubit, a yard is a yard, a foot is a foot, and a mile is a mile. It shows that these measurements should be taken literally. This is a literal city with these literal dimensions. Revelation 21:18 and the building of the wall of it was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass the building of the wall of it means the material with which the wall was constructed and it was made of jasper this is no normal construction material like cement brick or wood the city is made from the most valuable of materials and its great and high walls are made with the beautiful jasper stone. Ezekiel 28 describes Satan and his place in heaven prior to his fall. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to the earth. 
the materials that are described in Revelation 21, 18 to 21 come from heaven and are present in heaven right now. And all these stones are known for their value, beauty, and incorruptibility. The wall is glorious, and the city is glorious, and the city was pure gold like under clear glass. The whole city shines as pure gold, and even the street of the city was pure gold, verse 21 tells us. The most valuable of metals will be abundant in the heavenly city of Jerusalem. The gold used in the city is pure. The quality of it will be flawless and perfect. The gold used in the new Jerusalem reminds us that in the tabernacle, God's dwelling place on earth in the past, how so much of it was made with gold. The lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, and its two cherubim were all either made with solid gold or were overlaid with gold. The gold represents the glory of God. Using the most precious of metals in His dwelling place declares the preciousness and infinite worth of Almighty God. That is the case in the New Jerusalem where the tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them. And the gold will be like unto clear glass. The gold will be so pure that it will be like glass reflecting the light of God's glory from every surface throughout the golden city. The new Jerusalem will be a transparent city of gold which allows the light of God's glory to shine through it brightly. Revelation 21, 19-20 says, And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. God is a God of beauty. We see it in His creation. There are magnificent sights in this world, sunsets and sunrises, the oceans and lakes, mountains, forests, fields, plant life, and so on. Each day we see the beauty of God's creation all around us. And the new Jerusalem will be resplendent with utter, perfect beauty. He will lavish His beauty on the city He has prepared for His people, Israel. After looking at the construction of the wall and the city as a whole, John notes the foundations of the Holy Jerusalem. Foundations are usually underground, but these foundations will be visible. Also, unlike any foundations we've seen, they will be garnished with precious stones. Each separate foundation will have a name of an apostle as well as its own jewel. Going around the city walls at their foundations, the twelve jewels are jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprasus, jacinth, and amethyst. When you put all twelve stones together with their varied colors, green, blue, red, white, yellow, purple, and then think about the light of God's glory shining on and through this wide spectrum of beautiful colors. It's not difficult to imagine how magnificent the new Jerusalem will be. 
These dazzling stones will gleam from Jerusalem's foundations for all eternity. The first half of Revelation 21.21 reads, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Today in Jerusalem there are many gates in the wall by which to enter the old city. They are ornate, but they they were nothing like the gates that will be in the new Jerusalem. And here we find where the idea of pearly gates comes from. But there are misconceptions about this. First, the pearly gates are found in a specific place, the new Jerusalem's walls on the new earth, not to walk through in order to enter heaven above. The reason Peter is associated with the pearly gates is because his name is on the foundations of the city. But Peter is not stationed at one of the gates. Angels are at each gate. And there's more than one pearly gate. There are 12 pearly gates around the cubed city of New Jerusalem. Each gate is made from one great pearl. These pearls are like no pearl produced by an oyster. They are gigantic. God created them to be gates for his city. The cab driver reaches the pearly gates and announces his presence to Peter, who looks looks him up in a big book. Upon reading the entry for the cabbie, St. Peter invites him to grab a silk robe and a golden staff and to proceed into heaven. A preacher is next in line behind the cabbie and has been watching these proceedings with interest. He announces himself to Peter. Upon scanning the preacher's entry in the big book, St. Peter furls his brow and says, Okay, we'll let you in, but take that cloth robe and wooden staff. The preacher is astonished and replies, I'm a minister. You gave that cab driver a gold staff and a silk robe. Surely I rate higher than a cabbie. Peter responded matter-of-factly, Here we're interested in results. When you preached, people slept. When the cabbie drove his taxi, people prayed. (laughs) The old story that you'll have to wait at the pearly gates to meet with St. Peter to see if you're good enough to enter heaven is a myth. It's a sad fable because some even believe it's true. Salvation is determined in this life. Under grace, whether you go to heaven or hell is based on whether or not you trust that Christ died for your sins and rose again. You must place your faith in this before you pass from this life to be saved from your sins and to have the hope of heaven. The unbeliever will never, ever see these pearl gates. They, unbelievers today go straight to the torments of Hades after they die. And then prior to the new Jerusalem descending to the earth, all the unbelieving will be cast into the lake of fire forever after their judgment at the great white throne. Those on the new earth will all be be believers from Israel's prophetic program. All of them will be permitted entrance into the city of God. They'll be able to freely come and go through these gates of pearls forever. Ephesians 1, 10-11 reads that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We see in these verses how God has an eternal plan and purpose in Christ for the heavenlies, and he has an eternal plan and purpose in Christ for the earth. Of the eternal state, Paul writes, in whom, that is Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance. That is, we, the body of Christ, have obtained a heavenly inheritance. This inheritance, says Paul, is something God predetermined for believers under grace according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. It is God's will. And God predestinated that the church, the body of Christ, would rule and reign in Christ over the heavenlies for eternity, blessed with all spiritual blessings there. The teaching of Paul's epistles is that the body of Christ has an eternal citizenship and hope in heaven above. This heavenly aspect of God's eternal plans and purposes was kept secret until Christ revealed it first to the Apostle Paul. Paul says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that is, in the eternal state, at the ultimate consummation, all will be summed up in Christ. Yet, the distinction will remain in eternity between those which are in heaven and those which are on the earth. And reigning in Christ in heaven for all eternity will be the church, the body of Christ. And reigning in Christ on the new earth and the new Jerusalem for all eternity will be Israel, the saints of prophecy, as we've been learning in Revelation 21. Those who understand the two eternal hopes of God often ask, will we come down to the earth to visit the new earth and new Jerusalem in eternity? And my answer to that question is yes, but it won't be our home. With the abolition of sin and the curse and the eternal state, I believe that the third heaven and the new heaven and new earth will be all open to one another. We will possess a heavenly citizenship throughout eternity, but we will have access to the earth and the new Jerusalem as members of the family of God. So we will get to visit the splendor of this golden city as it shimmers like a diamond in the bright light of God's glory. We'll see its massive dimensions and its high and thick walls. We'll observe the foundations with their jewels and the names of the twelve apostles. We'll walk through the gates of pearl and give a nod to the angel at the gate. We're going to walk that street of gold and experience the beauty and joy of that magnificent place and praise God for it. But heaven is our home. It's like when you take a vacation to a beautiful location to visit and you fully enjoy your time there. But in the back of your minds, you're always thinking about going back home. And similarly, I think we will have free access to visit the new earth and the new Jerusalem for as long as we like. But we'll be guests, welcome guests. And then we will always return home to heaven into our eternal position there in Christ. Nothing compares with what lies ahead for those who love him.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.